0: Good morning, church. Happy New Year. I was with a young man recently who told me a story about, um, there's one night he found himself alone in his house contemplating two decisions in his life. It's a young man, 20 years old, alone in a house, late one night, two decisions. One decision was the decision to be baptized. he had grown up his entire life in the church, He had witnessed dozens, if not hundreds of baptisms, and he just didn't want to be baptized because it's what his grandparents wanted him to do, or it was what his parents wanted him to do. He wanted it to be his own decision. He wanted to own his own faith. So, 20 years old, he's contemplating baptism and had conversations with people about this. Should it be during church service, or should it be a private group? So he'd been thinking about baptism. The other choice he was thinking about that night was suicide. For two years, he felt like he was just carrying on his shoulders the weight of the world. He was weary. He was tired. And he was thinking to himself, maybe if I'm not here, life could be better for everyone else. So on one hand, he's thinking about baptism into Christ and what it means for his life. And he's also thinking about completing suicide to end his own life. And then sometimes when you're in this headspace, you're not thinking straight. Then he began to think, how can I do both of these in the same night? What if I'm baptized? And then I take my own life. And then maybe if I'm baptized before I take my own life, the mercy of God will hold me through the rest of eternity. But then he knew I can't take my own life and then be baptized. I, it, it can't work that way. And then he said in that moment, the voice of God spoke to him. And he said throughout his life, he hadn't heard the voice of God a lot, but that night it was so clear there was a voice that spoke into his spirit and said you are not baptized so you can die. You are baptized so you can live. That night he called a friend. It was in January. He said, is anybody at your house? If I come to your house right now, can you take me in the pool in your backyard and baptize me into Christ? And he did. A few years have gone by now, and there is this fire in his belly, a fire for God. He has felt a call into ministry, wanting to serve Jesus with everything in his life. And I don't know what choices you need to make in 2023, but if there's anybody in this space today online or in person who has never been baptized into Christ, today could be your day, or you need to circle a date on a calendar and work toward it or pray and ask God what it means for your life. Maybe this is a year where you need to make choices to increase your prayer life and how you engage the Word of God and what service means to you, what commitment to life means to you. Let this be a year of making choices that help grow you in faith and in God. God. I want to speak into just a couple of things, and then I want to jump into what the sermon series is going to, what, what the series is going to look like over the next four weeks. I want to speak in just into a couple of things that we do on Sunday mornings. Rachel Galbraith has led us in a focused prayer time called Uh, focus on our core value that we anticipate the movement of God. And I want to place a verse in front of you that I hope you can get a mental image, a picture of what what this looks like from heaven and for your life. In Romans chapter 8, verse 34, it says this. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. I want you to have a mental image, a picture of what that means, that Jesus right now is interceding for you, meaning he is not turning a blind eye to your hurt. He is not turning a deaf ear to your pain. Jesus is more aware of your brokenness than you are aware of your brokenness. And with his time and eternity, what Jesus is doing right now is interceding for people. He is interceding for you like he is pleading for your case, like he is fighting for you. He is interceding for us. This past Tuesday night, I had a chance to go to Tulsa, Oklahoma to speak at a worship and prayer night at the Park Church of Christ. On Tuesday night, they had a few hundred members in their church show up for two hours to worship and pray. And they invited me to come in and just speak to kind of lead into their prayer time that night. And my good friend Mitch, who preaches there, he stood up after I preached and he said this, we are never closer to Jesus than when we pray." That if the image right now of what Jesus is doing for us is that he is interceding for us, when we take time to intercede for other people, when we take time to pray, we are never closer to Jesus because when we do that, we are speaking his language, we are joining him in his posture, it's what Jesus does. So when we engage in a focused prayer time on Sunday mornings, this isn't just checking the box that we prayed on a Sunday. It's that we are calling out to the king of heaven to unleash the power of heaven upon people. This morning, we pray that we will anticipate the movement of God. There are weeks we may pray for reconciliation or for healing or for lost people to know Jesus. But when we pray, it's not just checking a box. We are joining Jesus in what Jesus does best. We intercede for each other, our community, and the world. And about a year ago, I know COVID kind of changed how churches all over the world do communion. And about a year ago, we began moving Do we have six tables in here and we move and some people come and you get bread and cup and you sit down where you are. And here's what we don't want to do as a a church is we don't want to force people into only one way you can take communion. Like we don't just want to say the only way you can take communion is to sit quiet where you are and to reflect on God. For some of you, that's the best way for you to take communion. And we also don't want to say when you take communion, you have to gather up in groups of people and, and share this as a communal experience. We want to give people the freedom To take the bread and the cup in a way where some Sundays it may be in your personal space with God, reflecting on what Jesus has done. And some Sundays it may be huddled up with other people. What we do believe is this, is that when Jesus is the host of a table, something happens. When he is the host of a table, in which he is every week, something may happen. This is why we feel there needs to be a little spontaneity when it comes to communion. This is why during communion, we put prayer uh, partners around this room to be there because if the host begins to move in lives, we want spaces where people can go. And we pray that the day comes when the lines leading to prayer partners is so long because the Spirit of God is working in people as the bread and the cup bring us to life. I want to tell you why I'm here. And just for a moment, renew my commitment to you this year. I hope this is a great year of preaching. But I'm here, I guess in a way, because the elders years ago offered me a job. I'm here in a way because Casey and I said yes to this job. But the main reason I'm here is when I was 16 years old, Jesus changed my life. And in that time, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I just knew if the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God is as good as I experienced it when I was 16 years old. I didn't care what I did with my life. I just wanted to serve Jesus in whatever I did. And it ended up leading me where I felt a call of God about a year later into ministry and into preaching. And there's been no plan B in my life since that day. I do what I do because I want to see people's lives be changed. I want people to know that God desires to save people. And God's good at it. I want people to know that what God saves, God intends to grow and mature. There is no one God saves that God doesn't want to grow. There's no one God saves in which God looks at the other hosts of heaven and says, Hey, we saved that person, but there's no chance of that person ever maturing in anything, so we're not going to worry about it. Everything God saves, God wants to grow. And one of the words that drives my life and my ministry and my prayer life is the word restore, which is a return to life. This is what Jesus wants for people. It's what I want for people and and Jesus is so good at restoring people. I want people to know that when it comes to salvation in God, this is not about being saved and then there's cruise control or treading water or playing it safe in life or living with the attitude that says, let me do just enough to try to get into heaven in the end. So the verse that like creates a burden in my life, and it should for every church leader anywhere around the world, is Galatians 4.19, which says, I am in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Like I have a burden in my life until Christ is formed in people. So with all that said, will you turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I'm going to build this sermon basically on two verses and laying a foundation for what the next few weeks are going to look like. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, there's two parts to it. In the second part of this verse, it's just four words. Some of your versions, it's five words, but it says, train yourself for godliness. Some of your versions have exercise, like train yourself for godliness. And this word train is the word gymnasia, and this is where we get gymnasium. It's where we get gymnastics, and this is where I just lost some of you. Because you're like, Josh, you had me this morning, until you start talking about gymnasium and fitness centers, and that's where you lost me. I was with you about salvation and restoration and healing and baptism, but gymnastics, uh, gymnasiums, you lost me. But I want to talk about training and health just for a moment, all right? And this image right here that I'm about to show you, if you're able to see this, wherever you are, this captured me the other day. This is a little fitness center. And if you're able to see like over to the right, there's pretty much everything, like if you, not just, not even if you were concerned about muscle mass, if you just wanted to be in better shape, everything you needed is in that space. There's the mat for your Pilates and your yoga, for you to do your planks, for you to work on your core. You got your uh, you got your kettlebells and you got your uh, dumbbells over next to the wall where you can work on different muscles. You have your exercise bike. You have the punching bag, which I've never done kickboxing, but I hear it is one of the best workouts. So if you need a place in your life to release anger and rage because you don't want to take any of it out on other people, go and do the kickboxing, right? Just let it out in the name of Jesus. Just Let it out, right? But then over on the left, there's this, re- there's this recliner. Do you see it? Because that's not just a recliner. That, that is the recliner of recliners. Like, How many of you would love to have this for a Sunday afternoon nap? So in that room are things that can help you grow stronger and to help you relax. I'm not making this fit- fitness center versus recliner today, all right? There are times God may call us to a recliner to rest and relax. After all, God is the Lord of the Sabbath. And then there's this fitness center, and you could sit on that recliner for hours. That close to an area that can help you be healthier physically, yet never take just a few steps to make it happen. When I go to see my therapist, I enter into a waiting room and there is this couch, and the moment you sit on the couch, it's one of those couches where you just sink into it. It's like a cuddle couch. It just, it just takes you in. And I could sit in that couch, on that couch, for an hour and never walk through a door that takes me into the room where I sit with my therapist to process some of life. You can be so close to spiritual growth and maturity in your life, but never take just a couple of additional steps to get there. Let's talk about diet just for a moment, all right? And can we just agree, living in Memphis is one of the hardest cities to eat healthy in. Am I right? It's so hard. There are times I come home and Casey's like, did you eat fried food today? And I was like, no, nah, I just was driving through Shelby County. That's just the, the smell that gets on. Yeah. There's this image that pops up every once in a while on social media, and I love this. If you go to this next image right here. Christians be like, bless this food for the nourishment of my body. <laughs> Tuesday night, I was in Tulsa with my good friends. They said, we're going to take you to a place you can't eat in Memphis. They took me to Raising Cane's, which is great, but you only got four options. They're chicken strips, french fries, Texas garlic toast, and slaw. That's it. That's all you can eat there. Casey and I, usually Casey tries to have a conversation once a week of let's plan out, let's schedule out our dinners. So we need to plan out our meals for the week. Who's going to grill, or when are you going to grill what? Who's going to cook what? Make sure we have vegetables ready to go. Because if we don't do this with our schedules, of me sometimes having meetings and Wednesday night church and my boys playing on four different basketball teams between the two of them right now, if we don't schedule this out and plan this out, what happens is we end up in multiple Chick-fil-A drive through lines every week. (laughs) And eating Papa John's, and nothing's wrong with that. Nothing's wrong with Chick-fil-A Papa John's. It's just if you have a desire to try to be healthier, like there are things you have to plan in your life. And if you make goals for any form of health for 2023, I hope you get them. I hope you reach them. But I also know that in life, sometimes we make plans for so many things. We make plans for physical health. We make plans for mental health. We make plans for relational health. Yet sometimes what we think is when it comes to spiritual health, maybe just at some point it'll happen. So maybe I'll just keep going to church, pray before meals, try not to curse so much, and then maybe at some point spiritual maturity will just happen. Dykstra and uh, Bass wrote a book called Practicing Our Faith, and they said this, we long to see our lives whole, to know that they matter. We wonder whether our many activities might ever come together in a way of life that is good for ourselves and others. Lacking a vision, of a life-giving way of life. We turn from one task to another, doing as well as we can, but increasingly uncertain about what things, what doing things well would look like. We yearn for a deeper understanding of how to order human life in accord with what is true and what is good. So my question today is like, do you have a plan for your spiritual maturity and growth? Is there a structure to it? And if so, could you articulate it? So if somebody were to come up to you and say, I'm new to faith, or I want to grow in faith, how do you grow in your faith? Is our response anything more than, well, I just try to live my life where I love God and I love other people. But I don't know about you, but there are times I'm around people now, and they're like, I've been in church all my life, but I, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to read Scripture in a way that sustains me. So what is the plan? What is the structure and it begins with understanding what God desires for you And it's that God desires God's deep desire is that people are saved and that God is able to transform the people he saves you can commit to a gym and a diet and you can transform your body you can commit to a therapist and it can help you change the way you think but when it comes to spiritual transformation this isn't something you can do on your own It's not just willpower, I'm going to work harder, I'm going to try harder to pray better and read my Bible more and be a better Christian. It's not just about trying harder, this is something that only the Spirit of God can do. And it's what God desires for you. In Romans chapter 12, in verse 2, it says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This word transform is the Greek word metamorpho. It's where we get metamorphosis. It is a process of transformation in which God desires for us. Ruth Haley Barton says this, I cannot transform myself or anyone else for that matter, but what I can do is create the conditions in which spiritual transformation can take place by developing and maintaining a rhythm of spiritual practices that keeps me open and available to God. A rhythm of spiritual practices. This isn't just for full-time ministers and elders. This is for everybody who is a child and disciple of God. A rhythm of spiritual practices, so what do you think of when you think of the word rhythm, what comes to mind? When you think rhythm, maybe you think tap dancing, some kind of dancing that's happening, Maybe you think of those communal dances that everybody should be able to do, like the YMCA, like everybody should be able to do some of these. Maybe you think of John Morant hitting the gritty, right, which this morning, by the way, coming into the church, I saw Jeff Cousins hitting it when he was crossing the threshold. Just walking in a church this morning, uh, maybe, maybe you think of dancing, maybe you think of clapping, like some kind of rhythm, and I've joked before that, you know, there are some churches and maybe you were a part of, that where you grew up, that clapping was like, you don't clap, and if you clap, you may go to hell, and it's not that the Bible is anti-clapping, it's that you've heard some people clap in church before, and sometimes it sounds like hell, can I, right? Like, there's just no rhythm in people, it's just so bad, and if it sounds so bad, that's what hell sounds like, so we probably shouldn't do it. Maybe when you think of rhythm, you think of Kip up here, who's sometimes trying to help people keep a beat. Maybe when you think rhythm, you think of a heartbeat. You think of a rhythmic, like the, the rhythm that goes with the heart. For many of us in the room, we grew, we grew up in churches of Christ, where instruments weren't allowed, but there were a couple of instruments that were allowed. We just didn't call them instruments, right? Like a, like a pitch pipe, which is meant to help us get the right tune, like, ha- find the rhythm. Or this next thing, little, you know, the little fork that is used that on Sunday mornings was to help find rhythm, but in the afternoon was meant for French fest when you roast hot dogs, right? Uh, just joking, all right? I think the word rhythm is a great word to use when you think about spirituality and what God wants for us. This isn't on the screen, but in Galatians chapter 5, it says, keep in step with the Spirit. That as the Spirit of God moves, we move. That there's almo- it's almost like this dance between heaven and humanity, heaven and people, that there's this rhythm that God invites us into, and that we move at God's pace. Now, I want to take a moment where I affirm spontaneity in our lives. Because this is the, sometimes the best way the Spirit of God works. That God's not just about you forming your plan A, like for a day, and then your plan B, and you're going from one place to another. Sometimes the Spirit of God does His best work when you're in between places. When just all of a sudden there's a, there's a moment for you to serve, or you to speak a word about Christ. Spontaneity can be really good. But you can't rely on spontaneity for all forms of growth in your life. Donald Whiteney tells the story, and it goes like this. He said, a farmer went out to gather eggs. And as he walked across the farmyard toward the hen house, he noticed the pump leaking, so he stopped to fix it. It needed a new washer, so he set off to the barn to get one. But on the way, he saw that the hayloft needed straightening, so he went to fetch the pitchfork. Hanging next to the pitchfork was a broom with a broken handle. And by now, it is clear that the farmer is not going to gather his eggs. There's just this spontaneous way that he went about life. When it comes to spiritual growth and maturity, we need those spontaneous moments with God, but there has to be some form of intentionality too. Choices we're making to be shaped and formed. Elizabeth uh, Dreyer says this. She says, Do we know that to desire God is a choice that is always available to us? And when it comes to spiritual growth and maturity, like some part in there, like, you've got to want it. Like, you've got to want to grow closer into what God wants for you, not just into what you want of God, but what God wants for you. Which begins by you seeing that God wants it for you because God loves to help grow everything God saves. Now, there are some challenges we face when it comes to growth and maturity. Like, there's just challenges. And let me just name four of them one of our challenges of spiritual maturity and growth is exhaustion we're often tired like gone are the days where the average person sleeps eleven or twelve hours a day like they did before electricity like sometimes we're just so exhausted so the question I often asked is like how is God gonna speak a clear word into an exhausted distracted heart and mind so there's exhaustion there's also distractions I was listening to a podcast this past week that said for teenagers and for people, especially those of us who have smartphones, we are, there are over 10,000 images placed in front of us every single day. And our mind was not wired by God to take in 10,000 images a day where there are constant distractions coming into our lives. And Henry Nowen, who writes on spiritual practices, says this best. He said, for most people, They get a couple of minutes into a prayer time and they are bombarded by all of their distractions that they end up chasing after, whatever the distractions are. And people aren't willing to press through that first wave of distractions that come at you in your prayer time so that your heart can learn to settle in God. So, all these distractions are coming at us. And how do we remain committed to spiritual practices through it all? There's exhaustion, there's distractions. Uh, and then <clears throat> uh, two more. Uh, for some, Donald Whiteney talks about how laziness and busyness sometimes go together just in the sense that laziness and busyness never leads to godliness. And the last one is technology, which technology can be a gift from God and it can become an idol that keeps us from God. How many of you got the weekly report this morning that already popped up on your phone telling you how many hours you spent on your phone this week? You know those? And I don't know if you pay attention to them or if you immediately delete them or swipe because you don't want to see it. Let me just go through a few. I found these. Like Emily's phone. Maybe you see this and you're like, "That's not bad. That's probably me. Two hours and 45 minutes. And then maybe you're, you're more like Jason's phone, which is three hours and 56 minutes. And maybe that would be like a really good day for you. Maybe, maybe you're like this next person. What's the next one? Eight hours and 19 minutes. And then there's one that was found that was over 14, minute, or 14 hours that was spent on a phone. And then last but not least, I found this one online. And look at this. You averaged 19 minutes of screen time this last week. I'm pretty sure that's Chuck Petrie's phone right there. Just nine, 19 minutes, that's it. And I don't know if you see that and you're like, I would love to have a day where it's just 19 minutes. Or if you see that and you're like, that person like, has no life. Like They need more of a life. And here's often what happens. Especially for older generations, they look at younger generations, teenagers, Gen Z, and they're like, they are always on their devices. It's all they do, they stare at their devices. But here's what you'll find. Most adults who complain about younger people on their devices, they're holding their own device while they complain about teenagers being on their devices. It can become a God, little g, that keeps us from God. So there are all these challenges we face, which is why, and I'm going to do this in just a couple of minutes, which is why, over the next few weeks, Jim Hinkle is leading a combined adult fake class, and I'm preaching three more Sundays after today on what we are calling rhythm of life. We just want to help people think about what a rhythm of life could look like for you. Now, years ago, the ancient Christians, they, they had a phrase called rule of life. And for them, it was always rule, singular, never rules, plural. And it came from the word trellis, which was like in a vineyard or in a garden, there was a trellis that would be a support structure. And that was the idea, that a rule of life would provide a support structure for you so that things could grow. So over the next few weeks, you're going to hear Jim and I talking about rhythm of life. Not rhythms of life, but a rhythm, a support structure in which some practices can surround that support structure so that you can grow. All of the ministers have developed a rhythm of life over the past few months, and all of us, they look different. Because one thing I love about God is God created each one of you in a very unique way. And God created you with a personality. And then what I love about God is when it comes to connecting to the divine, God often honors the personality he placed in people. So it's not just one size fits all. Everybody needs the same rhythm of life. Like for you, how might God be working with you to help you grow in your faith? Over the next few weeks, I'm going to walk you through Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus on three different occasions says, when you and then he fills in what we would call a spiritual practice. It's not if you do this, it's when you do this. Jesus just assumed that for his followers, there would be practices in their life that would keep them connected to God. So over the next few weeks, we hope to encourage you and invite you into thinking about what a rhythm of life would look like for you. And here's what is so important, hear this. As you develop spiritual practices in your life, it is not about boxes to check. Any part of our life can become like legalism. Even how we do relationships or how we do marriage or just coming to church. Anything in our life can become about boxes to check. It's not about boxes to check. It's about a heart of God to grow closer to and to love. That's it. And me, like with me in my own life, when my spiritual practices begin to feel like they're just boxes to check, I enter into a time dreaming with God of what a new rhythm of life needs to look like for me so that it's full of joy and freedom and deep connection. This is what I want for you. In 2023, I hope you care about your physical health, your mental health, your rela- relational health, health, but I hope wrapped around all of that is a concern, an intentional waste for you to care for your spiritual health and maturity. So let me place one slide in front of you and then a truth and a question that I want to place in front of you as we enter into a time around the table today. And the one slide is this. On three different occasions, Jesus asked the question, what do you want me to do for you? Three different times he asks this question. It's one of my favorite questions to ask when it comes to praying with people or for people is like, what do you want God to do for you? And, and, and if Jesus were to ask that question of you today, like to grow you in faith, to grow in your connection to God, like what, what is your response? What do you want me to do for you? And here's a truth you need to know in your life. God is committed to move to you. Since Genesis chapter one, God does this. We, we do not serve a God who stays still, who just sits in a chair. We serve a God who moves. God is committed to move to you. And the question is this, what's going to be your move to God? What's going to be your move to God? God moves, we're invited to move to. So today I want to ask our prayer leaders to go around the room. I know Laura and Kim, one of you, if you'll just go by the, both exit doors, I think both of you sit on that side. If you'll go by the exit doors, Casey and I are going to be up here to my left. I can't remember who the elders are. Uh, Terry and Tommy are moving. They're going to be here to receive you for prayer. And in this time if there's anything we can do to pray for you, with you, give thanks to God with you, if God begins to move and how you encounter the bread and cup today and you need one of us, we're going to be here to just be here to listen to you and to pray. And as we move to the tables today, let's just be reminded of the truth and the question on the screen. And Lacey, if we'll just leave that up for just a few moments during communion this morning, is in this meal, we are reminded God moves to us. And the question is, in our lives, how are we moving to God? So let's bow our heads, close our eyes. If you want to open your hands, just receive from the Lord today. Let's receive from God. For Jesus right now, Will you help give us a visual of what, is it, what it is like for you to intercede for us? You stand in the gap. You listen. You don't turn a blind eye. You're, you're fully present. We thank you for the intercession at the cross that you took upon yourself, what was meant for us to set us free, to, give us a, to, to lead us into a life to be connected to you forever. So as you intercede for us today through the bread and the cup, we give you thanks for all you have done. And we ask in this church this year that there will be growth and maturity in the name of Jesus. We pray this. We ask for this from the youngest person in this church to the oldest. Grow us to look more like you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.